of the new year. I think it's appropriate starting out the new year this way, but certainly the scriptures lead us to this point of entering the year with a sense of awe and wonder. That's what really the scriptures are jam-packed with, the readings for this week, particularly the two that we'll spend the time in this morning from Exodus and Luke. Entering into awe and wonder requires our ability to perceive it, first of all, and secondly, to receive it, to see. It's interesting to me, as I did some research this week, that all sorts of studies have been done over the last 20 years uh, promoting the benefits of entering into awe and wonder. And this has come from lots of different sources, uh, nationally and internationally, uh, mostly obviously from a, a, a sector that would claim no faith at all, but yet they promote these benefits of experiencing awe and wonder. For instance, like the BBC that said, intentionally seeking the feeling of awe can improve memory, boost creativity, and relieve anxious rumination, or a fancy way of saying worry. Anybody want that? <laughs> memory, <laughs> free from worry and creativity, yeah. Um, also, it was stated that awe and wonder can encourage uh, scoring higher on tests of original thinking. It can also produce significant change and generosity in people. Another source said that experiences of awe had a far greater impact on long-term well-being compared to contentment, amusement, gratitude, joy, and pride. In short, as USA Today says, all makes us happier, healthier, and humbler people. Fascinating studies on the value and the benefits of experiencing awe and wonder in our own lives. And you'll find much more if you do a short Google search. So I'm curious for us as we stand here at the outset of 2023. What regular and unique ways could you and I incorporate awe and wonder into your life and your family in 2023 with as much as it has to offer? Well, one way that was stated in the research is engaging in religious practices. We call it worship, being in the presence of the other, of God, uh, the creator of all things, is also stated as a way for us to engage in awe and wonder. You might have had an experience like this, I'm not sure, but um, uh, there may have been a time in your life, and I'm curious, although I won't ask for it uh, now, but when you had an opportunity to meet somebody that you admired or looked up to from afar, maybe, it could have been a local hometown hero, it could have been a national or international celebrity or figure of some kind, but that sense of being given an opportunity, maybe, to, to have a chance to say hello or maybe ask for an autograph, you know, um, created in us maybe a sense, at least on a small level, of awe and wonder. I had an experience like this. It's been about 10 years ago. Um, I had a chance uh, to meet somebody I'd looked up to for quite a long time. He was a fellow Anglican priest and uh, worked also for the Church of Ireland while we were living overseas. I had tried on numerous occasions to, um, to try to at least talk to him, to hear more about his life and his ministry, and was unable to, even though we lived only two and a half hours from one another in Ireland. And then we moved back to the States, and without even trying, a mutual friend 
got in touch with me and said, this guy's coming to Nashville, and I've encouraged him to grab some lunch with you. And I couldn't believe it that um, after I had tried and it didn't happen and we lived so close, now moving across the ocean, I was finally able to meet a guy named Jack Heaslip. And you might not know the name, but um, Jack was a quite of out-of-the-way kind of guy, didn't like to be in spotlight, but he was the chaplain uh, to four young men from 1996 all the way to 2015 when he died that formed the band U2. <laughs> Jack was an amazing presence in their life. They referred to him as their North Star, actually, in some of the liner notes. But, um, but I, I was grateful to have that experience. And you can imagine just before meeting, it's like you've had probably in similar cases, the sense of anticipation, some butterflies in the stomach before you meet him. And then when you're with the person, it was just a sense of, uh, of being surreal after so long of wanting to speak to somebody and finally having a chance to, a surreal experience. And the scriptures this week help us to get into that sense of being overwhelmed. It's a great word um, in good circumstances. Of finding ourselves in a surreal moment of firsthand encounters with him upon all reality is based. <laughs> Let me just define surreal for a second. I think it's helpful. Surreal can mean unreal, bizarre, unusual, weird, strange, or freakish, if you've ever used that word. Uh, unearthly, uncanny, and even dreamlike. That certainly details what Moses' experience would likely have been in Exodus this week. Moses, in our reading from Exodus, makes a huge ask of God. And the amazing thing, family, is that God delivers for Moses on this ask. The passage describes the fulfillment of Yahweh's agreement with Moses to let Moses see a portion, the backside, if you will, of God, of Yahweh's glory. God made this promise uh, just prior to our readings this week to Moses after he had asked. And in verse 18 of chapter 33, Moses says it quite directly. He says, please show me your glory. It's a huge ask. Why? We'll find out here in a moment. And then God responds, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. It's almost as if God is, is couching this offer in response to Moses' request um, to, in his goodness and mercy. So Moses knows uh, he's going to survive this experience. Because why? In this week's passage, again, God intends to reveal more of himself to Moses after his request to please show me your glory. But in verse 20, God says this, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Pretty frightening. <laughs> but God has just told Moses that he can see his glory. So what's going to happen here? And the Lord said, behold, there is a place in by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So merciful of God to respond to Moses' request to see more of his glory and yet to protect him from the inevitable outcome of being fully exposed to God's glory, which is death. So God says, I will allow that, but I will cover you until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back 
but my face shall not be seen. I don't know about you, but I'm picturing this whole scene on the uh, screen of my mind and my imagination and how incredible it must have been to be there at that moment. One commentator says, because of the sheer power associated with God unveiling more of his true form, there is much preparation by Moses, as you can imagine, about to enter this space where he's just going to have, well, to use the phrase, his socks blown off, even though he didn't have socks, I'm sure. Um, And we also see God's necessary and merciful shielding of Moses from his overpowering presence. And that word presence uh, is important to pause on for a moment, because in the Hebrew, that word that we've translated as presence uh, may be literally rendered as face, God's face, which none of us could endure, as beauty and truth and light and goodness and all uh, its essence, (laughs) uh, where it originates. And so Moses has to be shielded in this way. Moses, however, is able to withstand this experience, albeit not without an outcome, a consequence of being in God's uh, nearer presence, so to speak. If you're familiar with the story, you might know. What was the outcome of Moses encountering God's nearer presence? Anybody remember what happened to him? Right, he shone (laughs) with light, so much so that it was either offensive or fear-inducing the people of Israel, and he had to cover it. One of the translations in scriptures talks uh, can be translated as there were horns coming out of Moses' head. Now, lest you start going the wrong direction with that, I'm not talking like Loki horns from Marvel. I'm actually uh, best, I think, interpreting it as when the light shines out, like when we draw a sun on a paper, you see the beams shining from his face. You can imagine how obvious it was that Moses had been in the presence of God. His face shone brighter afterwards. Now, this is beautiful. And as the Lord passes by Moses in the cleft of the rock, he does what he said he would do. He announces his intention and therefore his heart for the people that he's called his own. This is the most significant part of this experience, I think, for Moses and for us. The Lord says this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? So we see God announce his character, his intention, uh, his heart for his people, and also acknowledge that the way he set up the very fabric of reality, that there are natural consequences that come from our choices, our actions, that he won't remove, although the relationship with him can be restored. It's clear because we see that right here. The people of God had sinned in worshiping a golden calf, an idol in the place of our God, something that they had made with their hands. And yet there was forgiveness for them, but consequences from those choices they had made. So relationship could be restored, but God says there are things that result from our choices. So as he goes on, he, um, he says, God does not come. I thought this was great. 
uh, as we might think with products in our time. God does not come with a warning label that might say something like excess exposure can cause your face to shine brighter. He doesn't come with that warning label. I'm thinking of, if you remember back in the day when the skits were great on SNL, they had one with Dana Carvey called Happy Fun Ball. Anybody remember Happy Fun Ball? All right, if you don't, it was just a brief uh, commercial, uh, a product placement, if you will, for a little uh, orange ball that kids would play with. And Dana Carvey was dressed up with a baseball cap on his head. Happy Fun Ball. But after they just uh, showed them talking it back and forth and playing with it for a second, then it, it listed all the um, uh, consequences of playing with happy fun ball. You know, you may lose your hair, you, you know, your skin might turn bright orange, you know, much like those commercials that we watch about medications. They tell you about the benefits and then there's a whole string of consequences afterwards. God does not come with the warning label, but here's the beautiful thing, as we saw with his action towards Moses, he cares for those whom he loves, shielding Moses from ultimate exposure. And this family is the main point for us to remember this morning, that while his power is the very definition of awesome, it's his character that he puts on display by demonstrating who he is to his people that is truly awe-inspiring as he talks about his loving faithfulness and forgiveness. Awesome in the dictionary says this, we've overused it too, or use it too easily for so long, but awesome is defined as extremely impressive or daunting, inspiring great admiration and apprehension at times or fear. Awesome, that's God. God's revelation of himself, and this is true for us today, is always his invitation to greater intimacy with him. God's revelation of himself in whatever way he does for each one of us, does that for each one of us, is his invitation to greater intimacy with him. And this is important for us to remember. After hearing this, I think this is magnificent. After hearing God announce his heart, Moses, the scripture says, bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped him. It's the first time in the scriptures that says that Moses worshiped God, even after all he had seen the Lord do to rescue them from Egypt. This is a moment that the scriptures directly says he bowed his head and worshiped, hearing God's heart, his character. So this is good for us to remember. So what God-honoring, awe-inspiring ask, like Moses, can you make of God at the outset of 2023? Might you dare to request the same that Moses had, to show me more of your glory? Might it be something else? But I think we can learn from this that the Lord wants us to draw close. He's told us what his heart is like for us, even in our sin and rebellion. He's willing to forgive and restore relationship and willing to respond to requests of those he loves. So what might your ask of God be this year as we head into 2023? Changed from the inside out. Here's the truth about encountering God. Encountering God's presence is both our absolute and deepest desire and our inevitable undoing and remaking. That's what God does. When we meet with him, we shed old skin, if you will, uh, baggage, sin. We shed all that, and he helps us to enter more fully into the children he's created us to be and called us to be. 
One Jesuit author in a book that I read for my course in spiritual direction in Ireland years ago talked about how so often many of us will pronounce or proclaim our desire to be closer to God. Show me your glory or come closer. But yet when he responds, turns and reveals more of himself to us, we often shy away and move the opposite direction. Um, this happened in the scriptures. We see the leaders of Israel telling Moses, no, after hearing his voice and seeing his power, no, you go and hear what God wants to tell us and come tell us yourself. It's too awesome and great for us to draw close. And it happens too, might I say, I think in my own estimation, with believers in churches, oftentimes waiting for the minister or priest or pastor to tell them what God wants them to hear when actually we're all invited to the face-to-face -face encounter, if you will, with the living God through Jesus Christ. It's your birthright as God's people to come to him directly and receive from him all he desires to give you. But God describes himself with some very key words here, compassionate and gracious, first of all. Those attributes that he lists here emphasize his character, his benevolent character. And these characters explain why, uh, despite Israel's apostasy and idolatry with the golden calf and the breaking of the covenant that had already been established with him, that God will forgive and renew the covenant and he does so right here in this chapter with his people. He also describes himself as being full of loyal love. This is a beautiful thing. The Hebrew term used here is hesed or chesed. And I, I might uh, find it difficult to really do it justice without, uh, you know, spitting on the people in the first couple of rows. So, um, but chesed. And, and this is a term that God uses frequently to describe himself. It's directly associated with God's covenant love, his choice to love and do good to the people that he's called his own and to the world. And it is frequently paired with another Hebrew word called emeth, which may be rendered as faithfulness. So loving kindness and faithfulness. So when they're used together, family, these words convey God's reliability to fulfill his promises. <laughs> To fulfill his promises. Now, I've had ample opportunity in my life, as I'm sure many, if not most of you had as well, to experience both the comforting love of the Father and the challenging love of the Father. They're two sides of the same coin. They're both love, both meant for our good. One we might more readily lean into than the other. But comforting love and challenging love accomplish the same thing in us. And after nearly eight years of living in Nashville, and um, understanding what God was doing in my own life and talking with many others who had actually come there with a dream to do something, maybe as a musician to make it big. I realized I could sum up all of our experiences in a phrase, and it was this, that God was bringing people here uh, to break us to remake us for his purposes. That's not just true of Nashville, that's true of all of us. We enter this world with so much that is not of God because our world is broken. And, and his dreams and desires on our lives are far greater, better and more beautiful than we could ever uh, design for ourselves. And so he wants to rid us, to free us of those hindrances and obstacles so that he can set us on a path that is life-giving to us and the world around us. I'm reminded of a phrase that musician Rich Mullins said in an interview once. If you know Rich Mullins, he's been gone now for about 50, uh, 27 years, 1997, I think. And um, I had a chance 
chance to promote a gig with him. We talked a lot about Ireland. He loved Ireland. But when he, um, um, after he passed, I saw in an interview, he said this about God, that God, um, he says, knocks you off your bike and then bloodies your lip and then offers you a ride home. Um, and I think that that is an adequate description, in a sense, of how God deals with us at times. It's this comforting and challenging love um, that he desires our best um, and to free us sometimes from those things that um, we've attached ourselves to. It can be a painful experience of separation. But the same is true for our lives as well, as we heard here, that we all have these desires and designs in our lives, and we do all we can to make them happen. Many of them are good, and some even great, but are they actually in line with the designs and desires God has for our lives? It's a process we all have to work through with him, but there are times when we could be standing in the way of the good that God desires to do in us and to us and through us for the world. And so it takes us to be intentional about, intentional about getting still and silent, to hear his voice and to put into practice what he says. We had great need and God delivered with Moses, but two in the gospel reading for this week. And here in the gospel reading in Luke, starting in verse 15, although we'll back up to 13, God quietly enters humanity, becoming a part of his own story, his story, if you will, history, and again fulfills his word or his promise to rescue his people because of those same attributes he proclaimed before Moses, his compassion, grace, and loyal love for them. We see this here. In verse 13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And where, family, did they find Christ Jesus, the Son of God? This is a key in our readings. They found him, as we know, in a manger, a feeding trough, quite likely, in an animal barn. Now, don't think of the kind of things we typically see a nativity place, um, but think more accurately, according to history, that this um, manger was likely a cleft in a rock, a grotto, a shallow cave, you might say, not dissimilar from where God hid Moses um, as his presence went by. And then we also hear the angels proclaim the outcome of the arrival of Christ the King. And it's this word, peace. And it's a very shallow definition in our society today, often meaning the absence of violence, you might say. But actually, it's much deeper and broader. And peace in the Greek is irene, and in the Hebrew, it's a similar word as shalom, meaning not just peace, but wholeness. Our completeness is another word to say it. In a sense, we could say of, of being uh, a sense of being put back together from all of our disparate parts of well-being and harmony and security. And our lives and our world are put back together by active participation in Jesus' coming kingdom, this shalom, this irene. This is the evidence that we are welcoming and collaborating with Jesus, wholeness in and through our lives in spite of our circumstances. So where are you experiencing this wholeness? this reality of being put back together in your life right now? 
But more importantly, at the outset of 2023, this question uh, might be more pertinent. Where would you like to experience the sense of being put back together? Or maybe it's for someone else that you know that you desire this. Whatever your desire, I encourage you to take that desire and turn it into a prayer. Like Moses, asking God to do what only God can do for you and for someone else. And as we enter this wonder of the year ahead, 2023, we do so confidently because the Lord goes ahead of us and is with us and behind us even. How did Jesus' arrival, his presence among us, impact those who began to understand just what was happening in this present moment? There's awe and wonder all over this story in the nativity, as well as with Moses in Exodus. The birth of Jesus is a revelation of God, just like he revealed himself to Moses. And therefore, as we said earlier, it's also an invitation to intimacy with him, an invitation to draw closer. Verse 17 says this, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They realized something big is happening. God is on the scene. He's answered our cries for help, our greatest hearts, desires, and longings. And he's come and, and kept his promise. In 1952, the author, uh, Timothy Willard, says in his book, Beauty Chasers, in 1952, German philosopher J Joseph Pieper warned that so much visual noise in our world impedes our ability to see, or you might say to perceive, not just to look with our eyes, but to perceive. And when we slow down, the world meets us, the author says, with epiphany which we're, what we're celebrating this week. When we attend or maybe become aware, our eyes quicken our hearts. And when we see, truly see, we notice God. Here are some awe-inspiring takeaways from the scriptures this week as we close this morning with the message. And I'm going to pair them together in Exodus 34 and in Luke 2. In Exodus 34, God renews his covenant with his people uh, demonstrating his faithful, loving kindness. And Luke 2, God fulfills his covenant promise to his people. In Exodus 34, God's name is synonymous with God himself as he proclaims his name and who his character. And in Luke 2, God's son is him himself in the flesh. In Exodus 34, God reveals his hand and power before Moses and the people. And in Luke 2, God reveals his heart and his son. And this is an amazing part for me that just was a revelation this week for me. In Exodus 34, God hides Moses in a cave to reveal himself just to him. But in Luke 2, God hides himself in a cave to be revealed to the entire world. How beautiful is that? So as we enter 2023, family, may we, like those who heard um, the shepherds, enter more fully into the wonder of God with us and become more amazed that God is for us. And may, may we, like Mary, live more fully aware of and give careful attention to who God is inviting us to become 
and as we do so to intentionally waste time with him this year. It's not a waste, but to, to spend time in his presence. And may we, like the shepherds themselves, make God famous through our words and our actions and be caught up into the wonder and awe of who he is and what he's doing.